Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have these guys with me today as well. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Brad. Brian. Morning, everybody. Bob. Hey, good morning. Philip. Hey, guys. And we have Matt Perrier with us today from Dale Banks Angus. His family runs that operation as well as he does a practical ranching podcast. Morning, Matt. Good morning, Brad. How are you all? We're great. And we're happy to have you with us because we're going to discuss several things, including some tips for new ranchers. We're going to talk about buying females and, and at what stage, if you wanted to expand your herd, when you would want to buy those, what criteria you might use as well as being involved in communicating in ag. And before we get into those topics, guys, I got a question for you. And Matt's a perfect one to have on the phone because it's a, it's a, I think, a practical ranching question. So the, the problem, I've sorted out some calves at home and I've got a few calves in a pen. They've got a fence line water that's shared with the cows. Over the fence line water, there's a chain that goes across that has a post in it to kind of keep the calves from walking through. Right. So I had a, the chain hooked with a thumb clip and that thumb clip came undone. The calf gets out. We put, we put him back. No big deal. After the second time that I had to put him back, my son said, should we keep doing the same thing and expecting something different to happen? Uh, <laughs> and I don't know where he heard that. So. I, I don't know where he heard that. Uh, <laughs> but I took it to heart. So I went and I got the chain link that you can screw it together. Yeah. Right. So screwed it together and put the thumb clip back on yesterday the calf's out again hmm. so uh, other solutions for getting he unscrewed the thumb clip on the thing and completely got out no there's the, no you're you're <laughs> misinterpreting the information here i think i don't think he unscrewed it how did it get unscrewed um well okay then weld it <laughs> 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 that that seems to be my only option, unless you yeah. guys have any other. But, I've never I mean, had a calf unscrew one of those and get, and it wasn't a bottle calf. He all just, right, so here's your here's I've, your device. You need to get this on film so that you can post it on YouTube and go viral. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think you need to take this calf on tour and start making some money. <laughs> I, I think you need to take this calf out of the breeding herd. <laughs> he's he's already out. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. Matt Matt's just smiling, going, "Oh my goodness, what did I get into with this podcast?" <laughs> So, so Matt's is actually focused on, he's got a, a great podcast. If you haven't listened, you may want to listen in. It's, it's practical ranching. And Matt's family has a, a lot of experience with ranching. They sell genetics and, and provide a lot of good service in addition to that genetics. And Matt, one of the questions that we wanted to visit with you about is, let's say I'm getting into the cow-calf business. What, what are some of the tips or things to think about? And we'll go around the room here, but I want to hear what you think, Matt. Well, I think in generalities first, and, and I guess the first tip that I will give anyone who is considering expansion considering entering the cattle business or the beef industry is be sure that you look long term with every every decision you can make every purchase you can make you've got to think about it in a long-term aspect there are some businesses that you can get in and get out of you can get in and get out of the stock market you can get in and get out of commodities and and, and sometimes we think we can do the same thing in farming and ranching when we're when we didn't grow up in it and that's the biggest thing i think you have to make selection decisions both in your herd assets that you purchase or lease it has to be with the long game in mind and if you can't think that way beef industry and the cattle business may not be for you and and specifically i think great point specifically on cows right so when we talk about yeah. feeder calves they can be closer to the, the stock market side where you're in or you're out or your inventory fluctuates a lot. But cows, because of the long return on investment, Dustin, you've done some surveys of, of some of the cow ranches. 
here in Kansas looking at some of the economics, but Matt's exactly right. It's a long-term game. Yeah, no, that, and I was actually going to follow up with my comment about the long-term game is relationships with, with the local folks, whether it's your banker, your accountant, your nutritionist, agronomist, et cetera. Again, it's thinking about that long-run game and building those local relationships. Yeah, absolutely, because you're going to be with those folks the next 20, 30, 40 years. Brian? I guess I'll kind of just build on Dustin's answer. I think my tip would be if you're going in new, understand you're not going to be the jack-of-all-knowledge traits, right? So there's so much involved with health, economics, and finance, nutrition, and all these things linked together. And and probably if you're thinking about a new career in agriculture, you might have experience in one or maybe maybe two of those, but there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to need help with. So you need to start, and it kind of goes along with thinking long-term and relationships, is you've got to build that team around you to get going on the right foot. But don't, but don't let it be, and I totally agree with everything you guys are saying, we don't want it to be daunting though, right? You don't go, oh, this is such a big hill, I can't climb it. So you say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to start and I'm going to learn some of those things and all lessons have costs associated with them, right? It's easy to see when you go to college and you pay the bill, but you also pay the bill when you start out and you get cows because they will, they have some lessons, especially about gates and how you hook them up. Yeah, that, that's the main lesson. <laughs> I guess I was thinking kind of education to what Brian said, but then also I think from a, just thinking from an economics perspective, if you really are new and you don't have anything behind you, there's a lot of capital investment up front. And so what are ways that you can try to reduce that capital investment up front by leasing pasture, even leasing cows or, you know, stuff like that, where you get some income coming in without a whole lot of upfront cost. Well, and to, and to follow up, because Matt made the point, long term, especially on cows, and Bob, I still want to get, get around to yours, but would you would cows be the place to start if you were new? Because your point on capital investments is, is very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think stocker calves is, a, is an easy place to start, because then you got quicker return on investment with those calves. Everything you're putting into them is putting pounds on them, and so you get a, a lot bigger bang for your buck off the start and depending on how you're feeding them managing them the amount of equipment that you need on a day-to-day basis can can be less Mm -hmm. and that capital investment and quit equipment's a big deal it is but could you also maybe have a maybe a different business model that is where you maybe lease cows as opposed to just going in and buying and investing all that so it just might be a different business model. Yep. Yep. Might look different as you as you go and, and lease them. If you can lease cows, lease grass, and provide labor, which is what you may have to the situation. Yeah. So I'm, I, I often claim to be the old man in the group, the longest of tooth. And so all the things that you, you guys. You don't, we're, we're not. No not one's arguing. disputing. All right. <laughs> well, so one of the beauties of that is is years of experience of looking at things that work and things that don't work. So I'm going to approach this problem from the backside of what were some situations that I have seen during my career where people wanted to be in the beef industry, the cow-calf industry, and entered it and then were forced out for some reason. What were the reasons they were forced out? Well, they involved things like family disputes. So, and that goes back to some, some business planning and some expectations, uh, some financial things spent, you know, so they couldn't cash flow the notes that they had grazing problems. They, they didn't get the productivity from the land that they needed. And so, you know, from a grazing standpoint, and, and another one is animal health. 
you know, just could not get the productivity out of the cattle. And so you think about, so what were the reasons that people failed in their attempt? Um, Grass management, cattle management, financial management, family management. And I can come up with examples where those were the failures. So to me, that would be the backside of if you're brand new, those are some of the things to really hit hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think good point. And Matt, I'm going to come back to you. And as we think about putting all these things together, and I appreciate your thoughts on this is a a long-term plan. As I'm getting into it, what are some of the things that you would give as far as advice for setting my vision? Where, Where are we going to be in 10 years, 20 years as a beef industry that I should be thinking about if I'm coming into the, to the industry now? Yeah, and that's that's what I started to say before you even asked that. Uh, we keep using the term long term, and what's long term to me as a as a fifth generation uh, beef producer on the same acres that his ancestors settled in 1867 is probably different than somebody whose long term might be. What are we going to be doing for next summer's vacation, or next year, or my time off of this this 40 hour day job? Uh, long-term to them may be a year or two. And so first, I think it's exactly that, define long-term. You know, when we talk about purchasing land, everybody talks about the fact that land, you can't buy, you can't afford to buy Flint Hills pasture and run cows on it. Well, you can't unless you look at that land as a 30 to 50 year investment first, and then you lease it back to yourself. And so those are some of the long-term deals. Yeah, you talk about, 10-year plans, honestly, probably most of those have to be a a 30 to 50-year plan sometimes when we talk about hard assets like land. Yeah, I I think you name it, the decisions that we're making. If we're talking about seed stock selection, which is something right in my wheelhouse, that's a five to seven-year plan of having that bull around, hopefully. That is an additional 10 to 12 years around of having his daughters around, hopefully. But at the very minimum, it's a two-year plan to just sell his wean calves, right? And and so um, that's and that's a shorter-term deal than looking at depreciated assets like land and equipment and, and things like that. So yeah, I think that's the first thing is put your put your business sense model in first and think about five and ten and and again even twenty-five and thirty-year plans. And those won't necessarily always line up uh, when it comes to making those decisions. But you've got to take all that data and all that information into into account when you make those uh, selection and when they make those decisions getting into the business. Absolutely. And a balance with yeah. how do I cash flow that through that right. time period, right? <laughs> so you got to make sure that I, I can make that cash flow for the long-term plan. But you, you talked about buying seed stock, and that was one of the other topics that we wanted to visit about. With last year in many parts of the country, we had a, a drought. And that caused many to sell off females, reduce the size of their cow herd. Now, in some of those areas, moisture is coming again, and optimism may or may not be building, depending on who you are and where you are. But people are talking about buying females. And it's also a time as you think about expanding the cow herd. And I wanted to ask you guys, what are some of the thoughts? Let's let's start with the premise, I'm a cow-calf. I have reduced my herd size due to external conditions. Now I want to expand and I'm thinking about buying females. So I have choices. I could buy open, non-pregnant, young females. I could buy bred females. I could buy pairs. So older females that have a calf by their side and are hopefully bred. So Matt, I'm going to start with you again. 
What What are your thoughts on on maybe those three options that I laid out? Well, you all have given this answer in past episodes, and I've heard it plenty of other times. But it's an easy one. It depends, <laughs> and, and what that depends upon, I think is again your long-term plan but also your labor availability at home to me regardless of age or stage of production good replacement quality females if there has been a quote-unquote buy in this industry the last six months and really the last three years it has been high quality replacement type females that most of the time have been going to the feed yard over the last couple of years. And that's largely drought induced and, and there's lots of factors. But one of the big factors is there is not the labor or the willingness of folks to develop, breed, calve out and rebreed that young two-year-old heifer so that she can stay in the herd and and, um, and be there for the life of, of her living. Um, and that's to me that's the that's the deal um is buying those good replacement females uh at a young enough age that you can get them into the herd and keep them into the herd not everybody has the time not everybody has the resources but uh, if there has been a buy in the beef industry that's been it the last couple of years the question is when are they going to hit that mark where they are more than worth everything that you've got into them and, and Mother Nature knows that a lot better than us. But when it does start raining, when it when we do start having stock water and, and grass and hay back, those things are no longer going to be a buy. They're going to be a place that I wish I had thousands of them around me. It's just uh, who has them. So I'm, I guess I'm going to I'm going to either interpret or I'll put words in your mouth, Matt. Okay. So I was going to approach this question from the opposite, which is you asked which one would you do. I was going to say which one would I not do because. And my interpretation of what you said, Matt, is open is probably the most labor. Is that a correct, correct. interpretation? Yeah. And that was and gonna, the longest time. And, and the longest time to return. Investment. Right. And the trade off with bread, bread's the middle ground. And the trade off with pears is a little less work, but probably a lot more cost. Right. And so yep. I was going to say for most operations, probably the open is the most difficult to me. And, and I agree with Matt. I think a lot of it is simply the labor issue. The other issue with opens is I don't, there's no guarantee she will get pregnant, right? And so if I've got bread, pretty high chance she'll probably keep the pregnancy. Obviously things happen there. And if I've got pears, then I know I've got at least one return, right? And likely, you know, if then now, now I'm talking about a cow that's had a calf, we're talking about a more mature cow, likely she will get pregnant again in the next cycle. So I was, um, my answer is opens are the most work, most risk. A lot more turnkey when you, when you get to the pairs. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with what Brian said, but maybe because I might, I might work with branches that have some experience and some labor available. And so what I like about those replacement or the, the open heifer is I have the most decisions to make and I'm Control. I'm tr control. control. All right. So I was going to put a positive spin on that. So <laughs> I get to pick the breed or the, the bull. I get to pick the breeding season and how long it is. And, and so then they fit into my system really quicker. Now, I've seen some ranchers that make it really work to buy pregnant cows or even pairs, but they need to be disciplined to buy the cows that will fit their system, as in they're going to calve in the window that they have. And that really narrows then the – cows that are available because there's a lot of uh, let's say that there is a group of i can go to a salem and they have options to buy some pregnant cows well they're going to calve over a very long period of time and i want the cows that are going to 
CAV right when I want them to fit in my operation. And so I'm, I'm totally agreeing with what you guys say. There's trade-offs with everyone. And I like the open heifer from the standpoint that I get to control a lot of that. But it's more unknown and it's more labor. The, the only thing I'll, I'll push back just a little bit. So on the pairs, they don't have to calve in my calving season if they're earlier. So if they calve earlier, they've got time to breed back, and then I will slot them into my calving season where I want them to be. They can't be late when I buy them. Okay. I would totally agree with you that. Did you get that, Jess? Did you get that recording of Bob saying he would totally agree with me? Okay. (laughs) Dustin, what are your your thoughts? I don't know that I have much to add. It's already been said. The only thing I was thinking is, you know, for each one of those three different scenarios, open bread or pears, each operation is going to be a little different. And so thinking about my own particular operation, I would probably sit down and just pencil out the expenses, our expected expenses, and what are those expected revenues to figure out which one might be best for my operation from an economic standpoint. Yeah, I, kinda, I agree with Dustin. And I, I was just thinking of this particular situation. If you are in a situation where you've gotten some rain over the last fall and you're going to have some grass this summer you know we're probably moving toward a low in um, inventory numbers and a high in prices and so that pair is going to have a pretty good return on investment if you do have grass for to run her this summer you guys are getting me excited now now it's time to yeah buy. you're buying more cows yeah it's time <laughs> uh, it hasn't I, rained enough yet <laughs> it hasn't rained enough yet but i think we'll i think we'll see some of that and it's certainly something to keep an eye on the other thing i would say there's going to be years it rains a lot, the price is high or low, but Matt's point earlier, I'll bring back in, this especially on the female side, this is a long-term decision, right? I, I'm not adding them to my herd for a year or two. I'm hoping to add them for the long term, so make sure they fit your herd, not just calving season time, but genetics, how they're, how they're going to fit in, and do they match my environment, right? There's a tendency I may buy bigger or cows that may not fit my environment if I don't pay attention to it. So I want to, I want to transition and and Matt, I want to ask you, you, you've been very involved beef industry, both state national organizations. You do a good job communicating about ag. And and can you tell us a little bit about your practical ranching podcast? Cause that's a good listen. If folks are are interested in learning more. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And, And actually we added a suffix to it. I always tell my kids words have meaning, Brad, uh, but it's, it's practically ranching and that's kind of a play on words. We're not actually ranching. We're practically ranching cause we're just talking about it, but no, it, it's something that we, um, that we put together and started, uh, the first of June, I guess six months ago or so. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, one, as you said, I, I do enjoy, I'm kind of an oddball. I do enjoy communicating with other beef producers. And for a while, I got to do that by going, you know, with, well, while I was working for the American Angus Association, serving and KLA leadership and things like that, I got to go on the road and go to these meetings. That gets tougher and tougher, as a lot of producers listening to this can attest. And so I wasn't getting that opportunity to go meetings go to meetings and hear folks like yourselves and there weren't a lot i mean you all were on i think there were there were a few other producer types doing some podcasts but there weren't a lot of options i didn't think out there to hear just this wide array of discussions with industry leaders and producers about topics that were kind of pretty hot topics at the time what I was seeing, though, was a lot of negativity and animosity and hateful speech on social media and things like that when it came time to talk about things like cattle marketing and, and imports and exports and some of these things. So the reason I put 
Practically Ranching together was mainly to give an opportunity for folks that wanted to talk about trending issues uh, in the beef cattle world and just kind of general agriculture, an opportunity to, to talk about those and not always agree. If you listen to my topics, there's a lot of times I have folks on there that I would probably be at the polar opposite end of the spectrum. And we have a good civil discourse. We may agree to disagree at the end of it, but we've at least shared our perspective, figured out areas that we do agree upon, and then figured out ways that we can move forth. And whoever's listening, you know, we have upwards of a thousand uh, folks an episode listening to this. There may be 500 of them on one side, 500 on the other, but hopefully we find uh, ways that we can all learn and go forth. So again, way for me to selfishly learn a little and, and communicate with folks without having to leave the place and a way for others, hopefully to hear that it's okay to, to have different perspectives on, on any given issue because we're all in it for the main reason of, of producing good beef for the world. I, th I think that's excellent, man. And I, I really appreciate the perspective of the civil discourse and the ability to disagree because it is one of the things that we get when you're involved and people talk about being involved in organizations and you think, oh, I'm just giving. I'm giving to this organization. I'm giving to this organization. Well, actually done well, you're also receiving because you're getting right. that feedback. You're getting that knowledge. You're getting that input. And I think your your podcast and the ability to have some of those discussions is a great forum. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at kind of ag radio uh, podcasts, meetings where people in ag go to interact with each other. All of those are it goes back to what we were starting this podcast about raising beef cattle is complex. There's there's economic issues. There's land there's cattle there's there's so many different things that i'm not going to be an expert at everything but i might have an opinion about everything and it's really important that if i stay on my ranch and never really listen to anybody else's opinion i i may make a lot of mistakes whereas if my opinions are challenged either on a podcast or on radio or face-to-face -face meetings I, I think i will get better decisions that allow my ranch to stay in the family for generations if i don't just talk to myself in an echo chamber. And and to be honest, I'd probably prefer that. I would have fewer arguments, um, <laughs> but I would make poorer decisions. Yeah, I think absolutely. And as if we're going to continue to progress, we have to be open to listen to those discussions. So I, I'd encourage you to give Matt's podcast, Practically Ranching. I'll get it right here by the end, Matt. Practically there Ranching. Uh, <laughs> a listen if you haven't had a chance to listen to that. And we appreciate you joining us today, Matt, and good information for folks out there. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or things they'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can send us an email at bci.ksu.edu. <laughs>